The following is Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Nature of Business, and I'm your host, Chrissy Coughlin. Thank you for joining us on this fine Wednesday morning. Uh, We are very excited to have on the line with us today Doug Stotler. Doug is the President and Chief Executive Officer of Conway Incorporated, a position he has held since April 2005. Conway Incorporated and its subsidiaries operate from more than 500 operating locations across North America and in 20 countries across five continents. A native of Newberry, Ohio, Mr. Stotler earned his bachelor's degree in transportation and logistics from Ohio State. And welcome, Doug. How are you? Great, Chrissy. How are you? We're thrilled that you've taken the time to speak with us today. Uh, I know that you're a busy man. Tell us a little bit more. Let's start off with talking about Conway and and exactly what the company is and does. So we have three primary business units, a less than truckload trucking, which is a North American operation. It has the majority of our employees, over 21,000 of our employees work in the LTL company. And then we run a series of 290 locations across North America where we pick up shipments of 500 pounds to maybe up to 5,000 pounds, bring them back, consolidate them, and then ship them to destinations in North America for delivery to our customers. And we have a full truckload business, and these are the trucks that have the sleeper cabs on them. Mm-hmm. And the drivers pick up full loads at a, at a single dock and, and drive it directly to destination. And the drivers live in their trucks uh, perhaps as much as three to four weeks at a time. And then we have a, a, and that's a North American business also based out of Joplin, Missouri. And then we have our logistics company, and this is our global company, where we help companies um, either redesign their global supply chains or we, or we serve uh, various aspects of the supply chains, either doing transportation management or value-added warehousing or some light manufacturing or the very strategic engagements where we help them come in and completely redesign their global supply chain network to be more efficient. Wow. Okay. That's that's good. It's good for our listeners. And I was saying earlier on the show that um, as I was doing research on the company, uh, I started to see Conway trucks everywhere. <laughs> so once you start really researching and know the name and, you know, you, it's one of those companies, you've heard the name, you're not exactly sure where. And then when you start you know, immersing yourself in, in research. I, I was having lunch with a, a dear friend of mine the other day, and there was a Conway truck going right up Mass Ave in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I was like, hey, <laughs> there they are. We so, definitely fit, fit into the background of society, but we support everything that uh, supports our daily lives. That's Whether right. It's the hospitals, the stores, uh, the manufacturers that make, the, make commerce, uh, we're there to support all of those entities. Are you one of the largest out there? I know that you're you're um, in charge of you know it's a, it's a f- over five billion dollar freight transportation and logistics services company. Are you one of the largest? We're the third largest transportation company in North America. Um, when you talk about surface based transportation, behind FedEx and UPS and FedEx. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. So let's talk about the leadership aspect of this. You clearly have a large company and a lot of subsidiary companies as well. How how do you when you came in in 2005, and I know you've been at Conway, I believe, since 85, but in different positions, when you came in as CEO, you had to set a tone of leadership. What, what was that? What, what did you do from day one, and what were your priorities? Well, early on, it started, uh, the company I inherited was a, uh, I call it a bit of a dysfunctional holding company. Uh, mm-hmm. We had multiple business units. Uh, They didn't talk to each other. Strategies were set in silos within each of the business units, and the parent company really acted more as the banker or the owner of these companies rather than really being involved in in an integrated operating type of environment. 
And so the tone I said early on is I thought there was an awful lot of opportunities for us to extract synergies across the company, to share a common culture, to share common visions around when we set strategy that were, would be benefit for the whole corporation. And um, that was really the agenda out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I'd spent my whole life there at this company, my whole working career at this company, it, there were certain aspects that I had uh, to change over time as we evolved the agenda uh, so that we would kind of expand our horizon on things we were going to consider doing. But early on, it was just, we're going to get out of our silos. We're going to start to break these down. We're going to talk to each other. We're going to set strategy together. And we're going to, we're going to work on establishing common values across all the companies. So how, how, do, how was that received? I mean, if you're coming in from a, you know, starting at really ground zero there, how long did it, did you feel it took before you saw some real turnaround? The interesting thing is it wasn't the rank-and-file employees that um, had any trouble grasping the concept. It was more leadership that had the trouble grasping the concept. Mm. And because they were used, we were all used to working in a certain way uh, within our silos. And any time anything threatened that world, that's when the walls went up and the antibodies uh, started to attack this new stimulus. And so we really had to work hard at over time to getting the right leadership in place that could move this uh, agenda forward. And it took us multiple, multiple years to make a lot of progress. We've made tremendous progress over the last two specifically be, because we, we had um, and the environment that the downturn in 2009 created uh, to some degree created a bit of a burning platform for us that we started, started to look at the world differently and we got more aggressive about how quickly we wanted to move the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. What are some, do you have some specific examples of, of how you brought people together? Did you have um, collaborative leadership teams you created or are there any specific things you recall? Well, certainly uh, we did many things, but let me, let me go, let me talk about how we brought values across the whole corporation. Because sure. I think that's something that started to become a, a universal um, uh, area where we could all coalesce. And within the freight company, we had identified four core values around the company that had been from, with the company from the very beginning, and in, it was about 15 years after the company had been operational, we really felt like we needed to institutionalize the core values that we knew we were on the company by, but we never clearly articulated them. And those core values are safety, integrity, commitment, and excellence. And we put mm-hmm. a whole program around those. So when we started to look at bringing the three companies together um, and looking at it closely. We really used those as a foundation and worked with the other companies to adopt those same core values, help identify with how their company was the same, how they could share those same core values, because they certainly behaved the same way that we did at the freight company. Mm-hmm. Um, but along with that came a whole series of, of activities that we would participate in. So we created voices and values teams across all the business units. So you mentioned earlier, we have approximately 500 or so locations around the globe. And how do you get employees involved in keeping the values alive? How do you get the employees involved around recognizing employees who are living their life within the company and demonstrating the core values? And we really did that through a, these voices and values teams that reside at each location. It's primarily made up of our, our hourly associates, um, some supervision at the location, usually not manager level, mm-hmm. but they're, they're employees that are responsible for doing activities that help keep the employees engaged in the, in the values, helping recognize and having recognition ceremonies around employees who demonstrate the core values on a regular basis, 
providing feedback mechanisms to management on the issues that are important to employees, and really making sure that we're we're um, recognizing employees using our employee recognition program, which starts with a basic concept of what's called a star card. Hmm. And it's any employee who sees another employee um, behaving in conjunction with the core values that you can do a peer-to-peer recognition. It can be up or down through the hierarchy of the management team. But it's just recognizing employee for demonstrating the core values. That is really cool. And that also speaks to sort of accountability, too. Absolutely. And now that we, we do employee engagement surveys on an annual basis, it's the Voices and Values team that gets the results for that location and in conjunction with their manager, develop the plan on how they're going to work to improve employee engagement at that location. Wow. Work on the issues that they're having that are specific to their site. Okay. Wow, that's terrific. So let's talk about higher, the higher ambition leadership um, concept in general. Um, you are one of the founding sponsors, if not the founding sponsor for the Center for Higher Ambition Leadership, um, which I've spoken about um, prior and had Michael Beer on the show uh, back in February, uh, actually. Talk to us about, about what your role is in, in this organization in the Center, but also um, and we'll, we'll build on the whole concept of higher ambition leadership and, and talk a little bit more about, about how you were profiled in the book. Well, I think it's a, it's a terrific concept, and uh, from the very beginning when I became CEO, our chairman really insisted that I be involved in some type of um, organizations that have give me uh, a peer group of other CEOs to bounce ideas off of to be able to, uh, if it's a new governance um, uh, agenda coming down the pike, to be able to you know, talk to them, how are you implementing this, but just that, that kind of um, environment for me. And it wasn't until I met the CEOs that Michael Beer pulled together through the Higher Ambition Conferences that all of a sudden I start to recognize there's a group of CEOs out there who see the world very similar to the way I see the world as far as how you engage people and the role that culture has to play within an organization and how you think about talent on your team and the type of perspective of lead, that, that leadership uh, needs to play in a company. And mm-hmm. so it really became the organization with which I found the most common on uh, supporting the goals that we had here at Conway. And so when Michael really thought more about how do I take this to the next level, how do we start to put some structure behind the fact that there is a leadership style and a leadership um, philosophy around engaging employees that really isn't taught today in business schools, how do we further this this agenda? And so that's really the concept behind the leadership. And I feel very strongly about this. So it's just it, something that resonates with me. It always has. And I, I really see that there are some very successful business models that engage employees that are high-value companies that have talent development systems to make sure they're, bringing, they're developing leaders that are consistent with the core values of the company. And they're, they're producing very good results. And it's not just financial results for shareholders that are important, but it's the relationships with the employees. It's providing the employees with a place where they feel like they're valued and that they have they can make great contributions and can be proud of their employer, that their employer is not just about the bottom line, but also is a responsible company from a social standpoint. The communities that we that we decide to set up shop in are better because we're there, because we're active in the community in both supporting philanthropy, philanthropy in both in-kind labor donations as well as monetary donations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. A, it is a fascinating center, and 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 the book that that he wrote, uh, co-wrote was was 
was particularly compelling. And, and one, one, one takeaway I got from it is it doesn't really matter what what the company is. It, you, there's, there's, it runs the gamut. So you have like last week I was interviewing Doug Conant from, you know, the former CEO of Campbell Soup. They're selling food products. You're in the transportation business, but there's common themes of leadership. Why is it so difficult? Now, now Doug, Doug actually said it wasn't, that he's finding more and more CEOs out there who are getting it, but the ones who don't get it, what, what's going on there? What's that disconnect? Um, boy, that's a really good question. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that there's so much of a disconnect. I, okay. I certainly know that there, certainly there was a decade where the environment was good, and who were the CEOs that got all the media attention? They were the more imperial, um, king-like CEOs, and they got all the attention, but they were also some of the most, the ones that had the most um, tragic ends to their careers, and <laughs> it, it right. ended tragically for their company, too. But that got all the media attention. The people that I've met that really lead their companies, um, for, for like I've been through engaged employees or through you know, the higher ambition companies, we really try to stay out of the limelight. We're not out there carrying, leading the flag, trying to be the, the, the face of the company. We want the actions of our company. We want our employees to get the credit and the recognition for what they accomplish. And so we really don't get a lot much following from the media or support for the type of things because it's not very sexy what we do. This is hard work. And it's engaging employees on an employee-by-employee basis, location-by-location, and it's just doing the right thing. And so I think there's more of us than perhaps um, is known, but it doesn't, get a, it doesn't get a lot of high profile. In addition to that, this isn't the stuff that when we talk on investor calls or we do our earnings releases and then we have a call with the investment community afterwards or when we meet with our institutional investors, this isn't the stuff they want to hear about. <laughs> right. They want to hear about the financial results of the quarter we just completed and what do we think about the next quarter or two. And because um, shareholders are so short-term oriented now and turn over so frequently, it's very rare that I have many shareholders who are willing to listen to a multi-year strategy. And the things we're doing here are multiple years in focus when it talks to employee engagement and lean and implementations of the types of things we're doing to build a real enduring competitive franchise. And they don't have a quarter. There's not a quarterly pop with this. So unless I'm able to equate what we're doing to a dollars and cents benefit, it isn't of a lot of interest to a lot of our shareholders. Mm -hmm. And you find that you, you you've been, that's something that's at the forefront when you're actually in these shareholder meetings, you're, you're actively incorporating the two. I certainly do talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, But it's not something that, uh, they particularly want to hear a lot about. <laughs> right, right, right. It's one of those things that you just do it and it works and then the financials follow and it's one of those silent but very powerful, powerful things. Exactly. What do you think about, yeah, what do you think about the, um, the, the upcoming generation, these younger CEOs? We were talking, you know, we were talking in sort of dollars and cents and having fun in the first part of the show about the eight young billionaires that are out there right now and in their 20s and 30s. And, but what, do you think that a lot of the, the, the younger generation is, is getting it? Do you see that your employees and the ones that are really stellar employees now um, at Conway are, are getting this whole concept of higher leadership? I think they certainly do here because it's how it's it's the agenda that we work here at Conway, and we reward the type of people that demonstrate these types of behaviors. And in our talent development and uh, programs, 
um, and when we do talent assessments of our up-and-coming leaders, um, we're looking for the types of skills, traits, personal characteristics that supports this type of leadership in our company. And we've identified profiles around the, the higher-level jobs and what are the key characteristics we, we need to see in a leader for them to be successful at this next level. So we're certainly incorporating this type of leadership style and thought process mm-hmm. as we identify the characteristics that people have to have to be successful in this type of company. But an overarching statement on the, the, you know, the younger generation we're bringing in, they kind of saw the carnage of the, last, of the things that have happened during the last boom. Yeah. And, you know, some of them have parents who lost jobs, pretty high-level jobs at companies as a result of the last bust. And they don't have the same confidence, perhaps, that they can come to a company and retire from the company. And we're seeing many of the younger people who just aren't willing to make the same kind of personal sacrifices to relocate themselves in a company like ours where we have so many locations. A typical career path for someone, if they want to keep moving in the organization, particularly up through the operations ranks, they might move four or five times during the course of their career. We've had some that have moved as high, many as 10 times within our organization. And I personally have had multiple moves um, to, to new venues as part of my career progression. They're not willing to do that because they don't believe the company perhaps is going to be in the same configuration. They're just not quite don't have the same kind of long-term commitment and loyalty to the company because they see how other people have just been displaced by corporate America. Right, right. So if you put so, in your 25 years, you don't necessarily, you know, it's right. not pre- it's predictable, sure. So I think their perspective is a little bit different than perhaps folks from my generation were. And so we, we're, we're cognizant of that, uh, but we're trying to uh, show them that there indeed is a different way. And we certainly can't guarantee what the future is going to look like, but we believe we can invite, incorporate an environment that's more adaptive than perhaps other companies because of how we think about employees and continuous improvement. Right, right. For those of you who are just joining us, we're speaking with Doug Stotler. He is the president and chief executive officer of Conway. So I'm interested, and I think it'd be fun for our listeners to to learn about what, is there anything in your personal life or what experiences have you had that has formed the way you lead at Conway? Well, um, I had a very, very good, solid family upbringing. And so there's a couple things. From the time when I started to become in positions where decisions I made uh, started to get more, had potential bigger ramifications outside of just my own immediate job mm. um, and potentially could get um, uh, higher visibility, I always looked at my decision-making ability and said, if my mom and dad read about this in the Wall Street Journal, would they be proud of me? Mm. So it's kind of been my litmus test. No, am, I like doing it? am I making this decision for the right reasons with mm-hmm. people's best interest in mind? And so that's, it starts right there in my core. At a point, there was a point in time in my career when I started to get my whole personal life and work life out of balance. And I really focused, I was, you know, building a career. I was very focused on my career. Uh, I'd work almost every Saturday. Um, in 2000, our, our youngest daughter at the time, Lauren, she was six and a half years old. She was in a, a ter- in a, had a tragedy, and she was killed. Mm-hmm. And I really had to – I was in Dallas when I got the call that she'd been killed. And flying up, I couldn't remember what – the dinner we had the night before at home. I couldn't mm-hmm. remember paying attention to the conversations. I couldn't remember even what she, what she was eating. And it really mm-hmm. – sent a message to me about reprioritizing everything in my life 
and weighing things on a relative scale of importance. And from that day forward, I've made a commitment that when I'm home, I'm going to be perfectly in balance with my family, and I'm going to be there for my kids, and we're blessed to have a little boy who's eight years old now, and when I'm home, I'm there for him, and I'm there for my older daughter and my wife. And so I've really come to the conclusion life is a whole series of relationships, whether it's work relationships, whether it's family relationships, relationships with friends outside of work or with other organizations. And you want all those to to flow together harmoniously. And just because I go home doesn't mean my values need to change. The core values we have at the company are the same the way I live my life at home. They're the same here at work. I'm not safer because I'm at work than I would be if I'm working on my tractor at home. So to me, as long as you get this all in one big uh, journey, that's that makes life great. Mm, I agree. And I try to espouse that same thing to our leadership team and our employees. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a that's a very profound answer. I'm very uh, I'm touched by that. Thank you for sharing. That. Um, if we move back to the, the the way that you you lead at work, um, can you can you tell us about? I know we've we've talked about how large the company is and how much responsibility you have. And I'm always interested to hear about how you actually keep the pulse on what is going on in terms of the social environmental priorities of your employees as, as the CEO and how you actually incorporate them into the mission in, in a way that is timely and both timely and effective. So there's, there's really three ways I'd say that I, I, try to, I try to stay in touch. One is we get normal, we get regular feedback from the voices and values teams that I talked about. So they really are a front line of feeding, telling us up kind of what's happening in the organization real time at their locations, um, and that feeds up through the through the organization. I get visibility to that. Um, I also try to spend a good portion of my time um, doing what we call go look go see visits. Mm-hmm. Don't just assume that everything's the way you hear it is. Go out and go talk to our employees. <laughs> Right. When you go right. to go to a, go to one of our lean locations and have the employees give us a tour, not with not led by management, but led by our employees who are responsible for that area of the operation, and actually go out and see. And so, I just over the next several weeks, I'm going to do uh, multiple trips uh, throughout the North America, but also going to Asia, going to Europe, um, to talk to our employees and to see what they're doing uh, in their work life, and to make sure that. They're seeing, they're seeing um, the world and how we're leading the company similar to how we intend it to be. Right. And then find, identifying the disconnects if, if, there are, if there are some. And then third, everyone, I talked about the fact that we had to break down silos within our company. Every one of the executives on my extended leadership team, and there's seven of us on my exec, extended lead, or executive leadership team, everyone has an enterprise role they play and that they're responsible for. So, for example, our general counsel is responsible for being the safety champion across the entire corporation. So he has a reason to have to be involved in all of the businesses across the the portfolio and all locations around the world. So he reports out every quarter to his peers what's happening in that aspect of, of what he does. One of the other executives is responsible for lean and how we're managing lean across our entire portfolio. And in our case, lean's about continuous improvements. It's, you know, it's, it's what Toyota really pioneered mm-hmm. from a manufacturing standpoint. But when we think about lean, it's about respect for people, 
continuous improvement, always getting the voice of the customer, whether it's the internal customer or the external customer, and servant leadership. That's how we think about Lean. And he's responsible for that across the corporation. So we get everybody involved outside of their silo so they have a reason to spread out and look across the whole corporation. And that becomes another virtual feedback loop for us. Wow. That's great. So tell us what we have a few minutes left. And I I want to um, talk about what some of the things that you're the most, we probably brushed upon them already, but but if there are any others, um, what you're the most proud of so far with regard to to the way that you've been leading at Conway? I think the thing I'm I'm proudest of, and it's not it's not one it's not any one individual thing, but it's really about the fact that we did remove the silos. We we're trying to behave in a very transparent environment, so employees know here's what our strategy is, here's how we here's how we're executing against it, here's how what you do ties to the strategy, and here's why your job here is so important to us. And we're yeah. trying to do to do those kind of things. We've created a common culture. We share values. We share our lean, our lean uh, principles and values across the company. And so it's all those things in total that I'm most proud of. But our work here certainly is not done. We're just, from my perspective, maybe if this is a marathon, we might have run the first five miles in getting okay. to where where I want the end where I what I think the end state's going to look like when we get there and we consider this a journey you're never done with lean there's always something to improve so you're always done there until every employee goes home safe every single day and we have no accidents or injuries in our company we're never done with safety so this is a journey it's part of how we do business it's part of how we think it's the lens through which we look at everything um, but I'm proud that we look through those lenses the way we do today. And mm-hmm. I'm proud of the leadership team that we have that puts the the greater good of the whole organization ahead of their own personal agendas. Wow. That's great. So I, the, I, I would like to just brush a little bit upon sustainability. And it's an inter- interesting question, given that you're a transportation company. What are you, are you finding that, that it is a priority uh, of employees? Obviously, the social, corporate social responsibility aspect, I know, is because you even have a, you know, a spot on your website about it, which was, which was very well done. How about sustainability issues? Are, are employees trying to move the needle on this? And, and if so, how? Well, certainly our employees have been involved in, in, in push, not, I don't want to say pushing us, but encouraging us to do everything we can to be as sustainable company as we can. We recognize that we burn a lot of fossil fuel in what we do, right. um, but we have recycling programs aco- across our company. We, have done, we made some decisions a few years ago to limit the speed of our fleet. Um, so our LTL trucks are governed at 62 miles an hour, and our truckload trucks are governed at 65 miles an hour. And the reason for that is that's the fastest speed we can, that's the fastest speed we can go to get the optimal fuel economy and still make our commitment to our customers. Mm-hmm. When we adjusted the LTL fleet, we believe that saved about three million gallons of diesel fuel a year. Wow. Um, and we had a similar benefit at the truckload side. So we focus on that. We're looking at new aerodynamics for our equipment. Um, we have safety technology on all our trucks to try to eliminate any type of, uh, of safety issues on the on the highway or eliminate accidents or rollovers, those types of things. Um, we're looking at lighter lighter weight equipment. Where can we take steel out and put insert aluminum or other things to reduce the weight? Because, again, that improves fuel economy. Um, so there's many things we look at. But when you look at the network of the LTL companies, and it's a – every day we pick up somewhere in the, somewhere in the neighborhood of – 
you know, 70 to 80 million pounds of freight. And it, it constitutes over 60,000 shipments, and it's all going somewhere different. How we, right. how we mechanize this line haul network and run, how do we minimize the number of miles we have to run and the number of line haul schedules we have to run to get that freight to the destination? So we have PhDs with operations research degrees, and we've developed very complex algorithms so that we don't have to run one mile further than we need to to be able to deliver all the goods on behalf of our customers. And, and, and the, 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 the cost savings as well must be exponential from that. That's right. So, so we both, feel like yeah. we're, doing, we're doing the right thing for our shareholders, but we're also doing the right thing because we, we're not dis- we, we consider ourselves, we're not discretionary users of diesel fuel. <laughs> right. So we're trying to use as little of it as we possibly can, but there's been no other mode of transportation that's been able to replace what, what it is that we do. Right. So we're trying to do it in, in the most uh, responsible way we can. Wow. Well, this has been terrific, Doug. I thank you so much for, for taking the time. We've, I know that our listeners have learned a lot, and your story is incredibly compelling. So I appreciate the time and, and hope to meet you someday in person. Thanks, Christy, and thanks for taking time to learn a little bit more about Conway. Absolutely. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks. You too. The proceeding has been Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com.